0: My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. (coughs) Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world.
1: Uh, hi again. Uh, it would be really wonderful if you could uh, get out your Bibles. Um, it was actually a uh, a couple of months ago when Ethan was preaching that uh, he urged us to get our Bibles out and to take notes. And I had always done that throughout my Christian life. But since I, when I started coming to Solis, and that was. Uh, a year or two, a couple of years ago, I stopped doing that. Uh, and I, no one else seemed to be doing it that I could see, and I started uh, just looking at it on my phone. But I don't know if you've noticed, phones can be really distracting. Sometimes pe- people send me messages in the middle of a sermon, and I, I well, all right, I've, I've actually been known to look at them in the middle of a sermon or look at a, some sort of other passage. And I do find, having ADD, that... Um, Writing notes really, really helps me concentrate and remember things. I never read them afterwards. I don't understand them. If I do, I just sort of throw them away afterwards. But can I urge you, and it's even better to take out the solid uh, word of uh, God. I may just be an oldie from the 60s or 50s or 80s or whenever it was, and even my sermons on paper. You've probably never seen that before, have you, someone with a sermon on paper? But uh, I've got my... um, phone up here, just so I can tap it now and again and see how long I've been going for. And if I lose track, then give me a wave and say, you know, Peter, that's enough. Um, Let's pray. Lord, it's my prayer that as we look at this passage tonight, that all of us, every one of us, will be deepened in our understanding of you and of ourselves as well, as we ponder your precious word. Feed us, encourage us, challenge us, and empower us by your Holy Spirit through your word to be more and more like Jesus in all that we do. And it is for your glory and in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, my uh, eldest daughter used to live in Melbourne for for many years with her husband, and she uh, produced two kids down there, in a, a third-floor apartment uh, right in the middle of uh, of Melbourne, in the in the, the centre there, in a, a little alley, a little lane, Rankins Lane, it was called, 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 off Little Burke Street, just near the cross with Elizabeth Street, and. Uh, I was, um, Lynn and I used to love to go down there, we'd get down there maybe a couple of times a year just to stay with them for a little while or not always stay with them and there wasn't room when they had two kids. But I remember walking through the city one night, it was uh, years ago, um, Christmas I believe it was just before Christmas and I was looking at the displays in shop windows and I I noticed a a strange man inside one of the display areas in, in front of the front of a big department store, and for a moment I, I thought it was a shop dummy, but when he moved, I realised it wasn't. And, and a number of thoughts flashed through my mind. I thought uh, security guard, um, window dresser, fixing things up, thief, went through my mind. And he, he was an older guy. He was um, grey-haired, a uh, bit overweight, he looked familiar, in fact. In fact, he wasn't inside the shop at all. I realised, in maybe less than a second it took me, that it was, in fact, me. It was my reflection in the window. Has that ever happened to anyone else? No, I'm the only one. Is that right? OK. Um, I wonder if you can guess the first thing that I did when I recognized that it was me in the in the window it took a microsecond but what do you think I did <laughs> no no I pulled my tummy in and I straightened my shoulders and I smiled pleasantly I sort of did some quick improvements on what I actually saw in the shop window. I wonder if you've ever unexpectedly sort of caught sight of yourself in a mirror and um, done something to improve how you look, just sort of smiled or something like that. Yes, I see one or two kind of people nodding. I don't feel so totally alone. James talks about our mirror, our mirror in our passage today, verses 22 to 24. But his mirror is very different from my mirror. My mirror showed me some things I didn't really like about myself, things I immediately tried to fix, held my tummy in for maybe 10 seconds before I forgot about it. James's mirror shows us what we are like if we are disciples of Christ, his mirror is a, is a metaphor, or for English teachers more correctly, a simile for the word of God. Like God's word, James's mirror shows us what we become when we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it gives us a very positive image, image of what, we, what we're like, who we are in Christ as we look into God's word. But James's image comes with a positive image, comes with a very strong warning, doesn't it? James warns us that someone who looks at their face in this mirror and immediately forgets what they look like is just like someone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says. Reminds us so much of Jesus' teaching, doesn't it? I mean, you know the parable of the soils for one and many others. According to James, when we look into or listen to or or read God's precious word, we see what we're like in the scriptures. To use James's language in the last verse of our passage last week, uh, verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, He chose to give us birth, rebirth, through the word of truth, that we might be a a kind of first fruits of all he created. James 1.18. Jesus and Paul say kind of similar things to that. When we look into God's word, we don't see all our flaws like I did in my shop window. We see ourselves as as God sees us, his first fruits created in his image, fallen sinners, yeah, sure, but washed clean of all our sins by Christ's blood shed for us, renewed, uh, reborn, new creations, righteous in God's sight, and eager to please our Lord in all that we do. I'm sure that's that what, what James is talking about here. That kind of image that the Scriptures give us of who we are, when we are in Christ. So how is it that that uh, followers of Jesus are different from everyone else? What is it that we disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ do that's different from everyone else? But sometimes forget to do when we forget about the Word, when we look away from God's Word, when we don't carry it with us, that we don't do what... Paul says in one, uh, one, in one Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When we don't do that, we forget. In our passage last week, James tells us uh, that we, uh, followers of Jesus, should be doing, he tells us what we should be doing or what we will be doing unless we have forgotten who God's Word tells us we are. And we must be careful that we don't immediately forget who we are what we, and, and what we will do, like the person who stops looking at himself in James's mirror and reads God's Word in their morning devotions and then forgets all about it for the rest of the day. Paul's exhortations that we, we looked into last week uh, with Paul tell us what we do or what we should do they give us a picture of who we are when we are in Christ and I've been reflecting on them all week and I uh, hope you have too yes some nods a quick recap James begins his letter by exhorting us to do three things. Three things that are pretty much unique to Christians. Three things that tell us what a Christian looks like. Three things that we must be careful not to forget. A quick run through of those who weren't here last uh, week or a reminder in case you have forgotten. Verses two to four. Consider it pure f- joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, persevering, When your faith is tested, builds mature, complete, Christ-like character that brings pure joy. How have you been doing with that one? Remember Paul's friend of 30 years? Remember Paul talking about his own Parkinson's disease that he's had for the last five years? Inspired me. Thank you, Paul. And then in verses 5 to 8, Ask God for wisdom and believe that he will give it to you. Do you do that? Don't be double-minded, he says. Trust him completely in all things. Remember that you can trust God in absolutely everything. have you been going with that one? Who confidently asked God for wisdom over the last week? Anybody? Yeah, again, I can see a few... Is your trust in God, is it growing stronger as you mature in your Christian walk? Is your faith growing stronger? And then in verses 9 to 11, he says, Take pride in the opposite of what the world takes pride in. How about that one? Have you been conscious of the difference? Have you had to make any decisions in the course of the last week to be different from the way in which people in the world, of the world, are? Those three things are what you will do, Paul says, if God's word is firmly planted in you, is the language he uses. Clearly, James is concerned that his brothers and sisters in Christ aren't doing them, so he has to... Remind them, exhort them, encourage them to do so. He's concerned that they might read God's word or hear God's word and then forget who they are and how they will act when they recognize and remember who they are in Christ Jesus. In verse 12, James gives an assurance that if we do persevere under trial, we'll receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you, are you ready to persevere under trial and are you constantly looking forward to receiving the crown of life? My wife Lynn and I spent some time in, as missionaries in, uh, in a third world country where Christians were persecuted, imprisoned and even killed for their faith. I reckon that it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian in this country. Really, here we're talking about trials that come to us, not just the same trials that everybody else has, but the kind of trials we have because we're Christians. It was, in fact, Jesus who said to us, we've got to take up our cross and... uh, and and to follow him it's not something that we can expect an easy life not that he'll protect us from a hard life but he will be with us always through those trials and challenges and then in verses 13 to 15 he assures us god can't be tempted he doesn't ever tempt anyone we're the ones who are totally responsible for our sins we can't blame god we sin when we forget who we are when we forget that we're like Christ, and our evil desires, he says, it's up here, I think, drag us away, entice us, verse 14, and then our sin is conceived, it's born, and when it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. Scary words. Finally, in verses 16 to 18, James assures us that God is the source of every good and perfect gift and that through the word of truth, we know what his eternal plan is for us to be, in James's language, a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. reminds me of Paul in Romans 8, Jesus' teaching as well, but that was last week. Jesus began this letter addressing to my brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, clearly." He does so again as he gets stuck into the what I believe is the main body of the letter, beginning at verse 19, "My dear brothers and sisters, clearly he's writing to fellow Christians. The first things, that he's concerned for them because of the pressures that we know that Christians were under at that time, I believe, probably one of the earliest letters. Uh, In the perhaps around written about 45, it's uh, debated. The first thing he wants his brothers and sisters to hear is about relationships, verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Is there anyone here who would consider themselves a good listener? Hands up. <laughs> Hands up if, you, uh, if you're married to a good listener. A few people are married to good listeners. Anyone else who's not married, but perhaps who lives with a good listener. You are indeed truly blessed. Uh, I don't argue with people. I used to, but not anymore. Well, I only argue when I get angry. (laughs) And that pretty much never turns out well (laughs) when that happens. Human anger, which is what Paul is talking about here, is nearly always what psychologists call a secondary emotion. I find that helpful. My wife's a psychologist, so I know what I 'm talking about. <laughs> when psychologists call, what psychologists call primary emotions are for example, joy that's a, a positive primary emotion, and negative emotions are like uh, Fear, guilt, and shame. There won't be any of that in the new, those in the new creation. They're what uh, human anger comes out of. Human anger is a secondary emotion that comes out of those, I'm told. There is also, of course, righteous anger, and God certainly gets righteously angry, and so can we get righteously anger when we are concerned for God's name and for the name of Christ. I heard only today his name being used in vain. I reckon that you never win an argument when you're angry. It usually gets nasty. You might think you've won, but they've just really just withdrawn. Most arguments are because people don't understand the other person's point of view. Arguing usually entrenches people deeper in their opinion and they get better at defending their position that you think is wrong. What's called active listening generally involves asking questions. When someone tells you a story, don't match it, don't top it with a story of your own like sadly I quite often tend to do. And if ever I do that when you're talking to me over dinner or something like that, please tell me. Call me out. Okay, but please do it gently, or I might get angry. Instead, what we do when someone tells us a story is ask them a question about their story, ask them to expand at it, show interest in it. That's an example of active listening. We go to to church in Bandina uh, in the early mornings on Sunday, here on Saturday night, I I come, and uh, it's a gay affirming church. I have to decide how angry I'm going to get about that, I think that there can be a righteous anger. Not so much for the people from the from the people that sort of uh, hear it and are persuaded by it, but the people who actually teach it. And I have told them that um, that I disagree. And they have told me all their reasons why they think that's true. And they've never asked me why I think what I think. I'm waiting kind of for them to do that. But they know, and I think I've had some influence there, or Lynn and I have, and we've spoken to a few others that are are troubled by that. And um, it's a whole process you go through to become a gay affirming church. You start off by being a gay accepting church, and I forget the next two stages. Gay affirming is, and it took them three years to go through this training process to kind of do it as a church. I think that because of our presence there and the influence we've had on people just one on one, I haven't heard about it. They haven't mentioned it. They talked about putting it on their on their web page and things like that, but they haven't. And I like to think that uh, we've had some influence, at least in that. I should also go in in uh, in. Um I go to philosophy seminars as well, where they have... Uh, last time I went to a philosophy seminar, it was the philosophy of trees, uh, where they almost were deified. They were anthropomorphized, at least. There were trees were talking to each other. They, we actually spent a few minutes afterwards, because just up the road, uh, and this is along the front of, uh, of the bay, on the, on just near the, the sand and the, and the water, we actually formed a circle around held hands. This is... Uh, Kind of a bit, where is he? Hippie-ish. But I did join in and held hands, and we had a minute of silence for a tree that had been uh, taken, kind of uh, down there. I was talking to one guy that uh, went along there, and he said, "What do you do for a living?" And I told him that I was retired, sort of, um, but um, don't believe in retirement, but sort of retired, don't get paid anymore. But um, I got. Uh, and I told him I was a, a Christian pastor, I think, and he said to me, well, okay, well, really? Okay, as long as you don't try and convert me, which I didn't do. I was disappointed with myself because during the talk, uh, they were going on about this kind of stuff, and uh, trees are great, I love trees, and, uh, and then the person who runs the seminar actually, uh, we were asked for... If anyone had anything to say, and I wasn't going to say anything, I couldn't think of anything. And then she asked me what I kind of thought, uh, because I'd given that asked me to give a talk previously when I'd explained the gospel in one of the earlier seminars la- last year, and uh, she wanted to know what I thought. And I said, "Oh, I like trees and things like that." I was disappointed in myself afterwards because I didn't say yes. I really appreciate trees. I can. I can praise the beauty of a tree, but I actually, my praise goes to the one who created it. And I think I could have actually said something uh, that was much, much stronger statement of my faith. I think I kind of wimped out, but the good Lord has forgiven me for that. Praise his name. I think clearly James is writing to, to fellow Christians who are doing it tough compared to the rather small trials that I've struggled with this past week. Much more like Christians living in the midst of conflict, perhaps in modern day Ukraine or Gaza or, or under various degrees of persecution for their faith in some 60 plus countries of the world. I reckon being a Christian is going to get a lot tougher living in this country. It's going to get harder. Good communication and conflict resolution are clearly major issues in a church community and they are in just about every church where there is conflict. James has a lot more to say about this topic further on in his letter. But in verses 21 to 22 he goes on to say, Therefore, and the wind has taken me back to Hebrews, um, back to 1 Peter, and here I am back at uh, verse 21 again. I better hold that down. Uh, where he says, Therefore, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, therefore, he says, what do you do? Another thing to do, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and it's prevalent around us here today, and humbly, humbly, accept the word planted in you i love that image similar images throughout the 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 scriptures but the word that's been planted in you which he says can save you don't just listen to the word and deceive yourselves he says in verse 22 do what it says it is in fact verse 25 the perfect law that gives freedom He will go on in the next chapter, verse 8 of chapter 2, the royal law, he'll say, that's found in Scripture. And he defines what it is. Love your neighbor as yourself, he tells us. In verse 21, he says it's been planted in you so that it can save you. Not save you for eternal life, but I think save you from falling into sin as well in this life. If you actually remember what's been planted in you. Do what it says, he says. Walk the talk. And in verses 26 to 28, well, often we say Christianity is not a religion, and I know what we mean by that. It's not about rules and rituals. It's about a relationship with Christ as our Saviour and Lord. According to James, there is a religion that he says is acceptable to God as true and faultless. And it's got, if you look at the passage, three characteristics. Keeping a tight rein on your tongue. Paul will come back to that many times in the course of this letter. Care for those who are worse off than you, widows and orphans, etc., etc. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Are you doing that? Because sometimes I think if you're not doing that, then you've already perhaps been polluted by it. You don't notice it. It's hard to notice Well, it does seem as if, doesn't it, Paul is saying to us that, uh, uh, Paul, Jesus uh, not Jesus either, James is saying to us that the Christian life is very much about doing. But surely, I mean, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, doesn't it, it's by grace you have been saved through faith and and not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, he says, verse 9, chapter 2 so that no one can boast. Well, next week, I think it's Ethan who's going to be addressing that. Where is he? Is that right? He's, going, he's, he's slipped out for a moment to do something. Uh, Ethan's going to be addressing that question, so I'm going to largely leave it to you. Unfortunately, I'll be away, but I'll catch it online. Where's the camera? Those there, hi. Hi. Uh, I'll catch it online. I'll be on those, uh, hopefully, or I'll catch it uh, on the newsletter when it uh, comes out. Let me say today, though, if you put your faith in Christ Jesus as your Saviour, then you can have absolute, total assurance of spending eternity with him. He'll never let you go. God's your father, and I'm a father, and I'd never deny any one of my six kids, no matter what they did. No matter what they did. And if I can do that, how much more can a perfect heavenly father be faithful to that promise when he gives you the privilege of calling him father and also be assured of that this if if you have come to know Jesus as your savior it has changed you if you don't think it has or if you're not sure then please 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 talk to someone about it before you go home. You've been given the Holy Spirit and it is at work in you and has changed you even if you haven't noticed. And if, if you don't yet know Jesus as your saviour, then be assured that when you do, it will change you. Why not do it tonight if you haven't done that? Please put up your hand, not, not if you're not a Christian, not asking you to do that, Please put up your hand, not if you want to talk to someone about becoming a Christian, please put up your hand if you would be happy to talk to someone about how they can become a Christian. Is there anyone here who would be prepared to do that? Look around, hold your hands up high. Look around. There are a lot of people who would take great delight in talking to you about that. I think it's very much like saying to a captain of a football team, the coach at halftime, saying, for goodness sake, talk to the boys or the girls or whatever it is. For goodness sake, you're, you're the captain, but you're not acting like the captain. You haven't stopped being the c- captain, for goodness sake, but, but, but you're not acting like the captain. In the second half, act like who you are, the captain of the team. It's like saying to a Christian, you're a born again, a new creation in Christ, But you've stopped acting like a new creation you haven't stopped being a new creation but you're not acting like one you're still a christian but for goodness sake be who you are you are saved by christ a child of god guaranteed eternal life act like it is what james is saying to us here james's mirror the word of truth the scriptures Reveal that to us. Remember who you are in Christ and by the grace of God you'll be more and more you'll more and more act like who you are in Christ as you grow in maturity as a Christian. How do you do that? Don't forget what the word teaches you. To borrow from Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't forget the man looking in James's, like the man looking in James's mirror. Let it dwell in you richly as you teach and Admonish or dwell among you. Both translations dwell in you or dwell among you. I like both, uh, both versions. As you richly teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitudes in your hearts. Read the scriptures regularly, memorize them, carry them around with you, remember them. The word of God gives freedom. If you don't forget it, back in verse 25, really do what you can to absorb the word when you're hearing it preached on. And in Bible study groups, uh, don't be someone who just goes there and hears the word. And I've been in many Bible studies like this, and then it's an excuse for someone to, to get on their hot topic kind of thing. Listen to the word and listen to other people in the group, ask them questions they say something, explore it with them. Discuss it with your family and friends. We all need to be constantly reminded of who we are in Christ or we forget. God's word has been planted in you when you read and humbly accept the word of God. Planted in you, which can save you. That word tells you who you now are in Christ. The real you That you have now become transformed through Christ, through God's word planted in you and ready to keep growing you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for giving us your precious, precious words so that we might grow in wisdom and be equipped to serve you faithfully in good works that are pleasing to you. We ask this for your glory and in the precious name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus.